Welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Get three tasks, not important what they are. Suffice it to say, at this point, I'm fairly confident in my physical, emotional, intellectual prowess. I'm Micah. I'm Matsy. I'm not as confident in any of my prowesses. Except for Binding of Isaac, where I sure took out that greedier mode as Tainted Bethany. Anyway, on this podcast, we give each other cartoons to watch and review and recap. And this is the second half of a two-part thing, where we took some long-running, well-known properties that had more than one iteration, and we looked at the newer version on last week's episode, and now we're going to look at something a little older. For example, uh, I watched an episode of Batman The Brave and the Bold last week, and this week, Micah watched an episode of Batman, the animated series. And then I told Micah to watch Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. And he made me watch the old timey, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. So we're going to talk about those. Uh, that was confusing. Hopefully you'll get it as we go. But anyway, let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, Micah, what kind of serial news do you have for me this time? <laughs> I didn't make one this time. Or I mean, we didn't oh, okay. uh, we didn't develop a new serial. Um, so this isn't so much a podcast as a wish fulfillment center. Uh, oh. As requested by Moss Lion, I watched The Bobbleheads, the movie, the movie. Oh, goodness. All right. Yes. Big heads, bigger attitudes. Boy. Yes. We had a discussion. Uh, of dis <laughs> disclosure, I did not watch this movie. No. And... And I was suggesting that we should do this soon because it was requested. And you, you thought, ah, we shouldn't make a whole episode around this thing. And your instincts were yeah. right, I think. Yeah. Because just tonight I was looking at YouTube and Nostalgia Critic just put out his bobbleheads video. So great. Yes. Yeah, this is this is, you know, I appreciate the the sentiment, Moss Lion. But like this is territory that everybody on YouTube walks over. Yeah. And you know what? It's not that bad. It's not good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm sure that uh, Nostalgia Critic will make a real meal out of it. <laughs> but no, it's... Well, you know, it's worse for not being terrible. Because at least a terrible thing has some uh, spectacle to it, right? Some Yeah, yeah, that's, that's Roger Ebert's distinction between a one-star movie and a zero-star movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where a one-star movie is like, it's bad, but at least you can get something out of it. A zero star movie just isn't any better than watching a blank screen. Yeah. So uh, Bobbleheads, the movie is Toy Story. But what if it was just Bobbleheads? Oh, cool. Toy Story with less variety. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the Bobblehead gags work OK, like the instances where they'll go in for a hug or a kiss and they'll accidentally knock heads and then stumble back and <laughs> wobble a little bit. Um, um, can I ask how, what year was this movie? Oh, it's recent. Um, hmm. Let's see. 2020. Oh, okay. So I suspect that there's an element of, ooh, Funko Pops are really hot. Too bad we can't get the license. What's like a Funko Pop, but public domain? You know, I was thinking about that. They, they could make a Funko Pop that was like Batman, uh, or rather the Lego movie. Either way, mm. Lego Batman, mm. the uh, Lego movie, they could do something like that. Um, but Warner Brothers owns all those properties and Funko just licenses them, right? So, 
Uh, yeah, well, Funko licenses literally everything. I'm surprised there isn't a me Funko Pop. As in a you yourself? Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if this is a service <laughs> where you get one made up. You know what? Now that you mention that, I think there is. Oh. Hmm. I always think of Funko Pops as kind of the equivalent of getting uh, soap as a gift, you know? Just like, <laughs> I don't know exactly what you like. So here's Iron Man with some dotty black eyes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Bobblehead's the movie. Um, yes. Back so on topic. It, it starts off introducing us to a family. Um, it has... A husband and wife who work together designing roller coasters. <laughs> um, and they have two children. One's a baby and one is a daughter who's uh, frustrated with her family. She doesn't like looking after her, uh, her after the baby. She doesn't like that her parents are work-at-home parents and always around. Um, mm. The uh, bobbleheads, they kind of like are helpful little spirits in the background. So they keep this baby from injuring itself, which it seems to be on a mission to do constantly. Um, mm. uh, and they, they bring up on a computer, the uh, a search result for this getaway vacation, which the parents think of like the, their daughter is set up for them. And so they go, okay. And they, they go off on vacation and then you can just forget about them because they've set up this whole thing, this whole, you know, arc for this family and they don't show up until like the end of the movie with their stuff resolved instead huh. <laughs> instead uh the father's little brother they have they've had a falling out because the little brother sold their father's bobblehead collection hey yeah so he's he's com coming to patch it up even though he's not welcome but, you know, of course, he doesn't know that they have this the spur of the moment getaway. So they come to an empty house and he finds where he hides the key. And he and his uh, wife, I guess, come in um, mm -hmm. and they are. They're stereotypes. So they're southern. They're kind of trailer trashy. Mm. Right. Um, I guess Earl, the, the younger brother, is like. Um, Randy Quaid in the vacation I, movies. That's that's exactly where I was going to go if you didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, she, and you know, she's all like um, updo hair and stretch pants, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, he's, he's dressed like Larry the Cable Guy. But the thing is, is that it's not really mean enough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of the most insulting kind of stereotype impression where you just didn't care to do anything that felt real about it. There's only one thing, and there's not a lot of laughs in this movie, but, you know, part of good laugh is being surprised. Yeah. Um, when he goes back to his car about midway point through the movie and opens the door, a whole bunch of cans and garbage fall out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that made me laugh. <laughs> that had a ring yeah, of truth That's a gag that often works. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, he's... There's a plot where... The the one bobblehead that he didn't steal turns out was actually the one that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Of course. Um, so he's come back to try to finagle a trade where he's going to give him the sports figure that he the, the bobblehead of the sports figure he likes in exchange for it. 
And his wife is all about the money. She hates him. I don't know how they got together. I guess she must have been at a real low point to, to have mm. seen him as a step up and now <laughs> has gotten ambitious where she wants to, you know, get this bobblehead and, and live uh, life high on the hog, right? What are the bobbleheads? Like, are they just like made up characters or are they like... All entirely. Li- okay. Okay. So, th- so, okay. One of them is Purbles McCat, who is a cat, mm. and the daughter has it and uses it like a magic eight ball, which I don't know. Do people do that with their bobbleheads? Like, she'll I ask... I don't a- know what... Yeah. She'll ask questions and then press down and then interpret what it's doing as, as uh, shaking its head or nodding. Yeah. All I know about bobbleheads is that people sometimes get them at baseball games and you collect them in Fallout games. I've only owned one and I miss it. It was a miniature bobblehead from a uh, gotcha machine. Um, oh. Yeah. You know, you know the, it comes in the little bubble when you put your, your coin in, right? Um, sure. And it was the uh, Pokemon Why Not. So <laughs> just attach it to the dash of the car. And it was a little miniature Why Not with a little shaky head. It was pretty cute. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So the one's a cat. Um, another one is based on a um, a pro skateboarder. Oh. And another one is a manga character. Uh, so... She's got an anime head and then kind of like a robot body. And I was trying to guess when I looked at her back, is that is that a nose of a jet plane? Is she supposed to be able to transform? Doesn't happen in mm. it, but anyway. Um, yeah. So those are their, their archetypes, the three that live there. Uh, okay. And the uh, uh, Deuce is, is, is a baseball player. So they have their own little quarrels, right? And their own little... Uh, cliquish kind of differences of opinion so um obviously the the anime character feels lowly being a one one and done comic book character <laughs> the skateboarder feels inspired because of the person she represents her they have this thing prototypes which is what you're based on right so okay she's actually based on a thing a cool skater um and the cat is maligned before they know what he is for uh, being just a generic. No, the cat is the valuable one? Yes, yeah. Okay. And the baseball player is very full of himself and only talks in, like, baseball metaphors. Sure, yeah. Anyway, so they... Uh, they pull schemes in order to defend their house from the interlopers, whether it's pretending to be ghosts or aliens um, or... Home aloneing a setup, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, they tie the yo-yo string as a trip wire and all that kind of stuff. I kind of wondered if it was going to devolve into that. Yes. Um, okay, so the voice work is good. Because they have good actors playing this. But all it is is just pretty good because I think everyone's kind of playing down to an animated movie. And there, there's not a lot to work. Well... I guess it varies, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So, uh, Earl, the uh, the little brother, is played by Luke Wilson. Carrie Payton plays Deuce. Um, does a lot of voice acting, but he's also Ezekiel on The Walking Dead. Um, okay. <laughs> Cher is a guest star in this. Sheesh. 
I know, I know. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge, if you know who she is, she's the uh, the odious wife who just wants to make money off this bobblehead. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so yeah, they're you know they're credible actors, and so the voice. Like I said, nothing's bad enough in this, right? Yeah, yeah. And everything is just sort of boring, but there's actually little things in this that are kind of good. <laughs> Strangely. Um, mm. Okay, so the role Cher plays in this. The Cher bobblehead is sort of an, an omniscient force. <laughs> so when they need her, this like drone appears in the backyard and lands on the trampoline. And then she comes out with a whole light show thing and counsels them. Um, in fact, she's a lot like the Wizard of Oz in that she tells them what really matters about themselves and gives them perspective on their self-image. You know, things that happen during the course of the movie that rattle who, what they think of themselves, right? But right. Just, just like, you know, the, uh, the wizard convinces the Tin Man that you were, you were compassionate all along and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, at the end of the movie, when they've, they've resolved everything, she just appears on the screen, like a screen turns on and she talks to them. And like summons them. So, she, like I said, she's she she says she's from the Bobblehead High Council. Oh, for well, this is at least weird. Okay, this is at least something to think about in this boring movie. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give it that. Yes, she at least got to have some fun in this thing. I think the animation, like I said, isn't bad enough. Mm-hmm. The char- the characters don't really look plasticky enough for my liking. You know, for a movie that came out so many decades after Toy Story. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that technology, like the Lego movie looks like it's made of Lego. Oh, like, you can you can I, do it. I really admire the Lego movie, how they make all the smoke and water out of Lego. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the bobbleheads have like strange powers based on their springy heads. So <laughs> they can like. So at times ambulate like a spring, you know, where they, they flop over under their head and then propel and then arc, you know, boring, boring, um, <laughs> you know, things that I'm pretty sure real bobbleheads can't do. Well, if you were to throw one at the ground, I think it would be pretty feeble, but, um, probably break. Honestly, I have this feeling like Cher has kept herself kind of relevant, kept herself in shape, but she's still a senior citizen, right? Yeah. So, you know how, um, there are scammers who will call senior citizens to, you know, fleece them of their money. <laughs> I have a feeling that animation studios are doing this because she's in this movie. Dick Van Dyke did Trolls and Sean Connery has a god awful animated movie. <laughs> huh. It sounded OK, but the rest of them like. I don't know. How, how did they look at this concept and think, yeah, OK, right? I think maybe I'm just elevating them to be more choosy than they actually are, right? Like, even when you're a recognizable name actor, a job's a job, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, Luke Wilson looked at this and thought, oh, they got to, they got a meal allowance. Somebody's having $5 footlongs all week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can always trick somebody into doing. There's always somebody who will do anything. You know, I think like people just it takes a different brain to understand animation. Like mm. 
John Stewart did that one thing, uh, Dougal, where he played a, <laughs> a, a villainous blue spring that shoots ice out of his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's not a, uh, an intuition that I think most people have, I guess, whether things will be good as animation. Um, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. And also it's no work. I mean, it's not right. You know, you go into a studio and you talk for a while and, right. you know, it's not like you have to sit and get makeup for two hours and fly to some location and, you know, sit in Tunisia getting sunburned to say five minutes of dialogue. And then, yeah. Right. And it would have to be a special kind of offensive for it to follow you. Right. So. Yeah, 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 true. Anyway, that's that's my sparkling nugget for the week. What do you got, Matsy? Uh, let's see, a couple things. Um, <laughs> I really want to explore this Punch-Out cartoon. This wasn't, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't plan this, but just before we started recording, we were talking about some things, and I just kind of poured out my idea for a, a dumb uh, Punch-Out, like the video game boxing game. A cartoon where all the boxers are driving personalized cars for some reason, like wacky races. And this concept just really amuses me. It's like I was saying to you, like the idea that like, you know, Glass Joe has a terrible car that breaks down immediately in the first scene of every episode. And uh, uh, Hondo has... It is you you suggest he drives a bullet train and that's not bad. Yeah. I also like the idea that there are headlights with eyebrows on them. Yes, um, I could do all. Uh, uh, Soda Popinski probably has like he <laughs> takes a drink and then he pours some in the engine and back and forth, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's I like that. I was thinking you were going to have him like driving a soda bottle, but he's probably <laughs> driving some kind of like weird Russian car and like he. He pours soda into the gas tank like a villainous version of spinach. <laughs> Make like jets to like shoot out the back. <laughs> hey, one episode Little Mac should win when they're neck and neck and he punches the soda bottle out of his hand <laughs> and then takes off the head of him. <laughs> oh, did you play that Wii punch out? I've not, no. I watched oh. the Game Grumps play it, but yeah. That game is great. Yeah, it looks pretty fantastic. Well, I it's the really same like game, it. really, right? Well, it has other, like, it has stuff like that. Like, you literally, like, Soda Pavinsky will refill his life by drinking soda, but you can stop him by punching the soda bottle out of his hand, Couldn't which makes him that? mad. Couldn't you do that in the old punch-outs? I... I'm not sure I ever got to Soda Pavinsky in the old punch-out. Right. Hmm. But yeah, there's but then there's also like the kind of second quest where you're defending the title where like right. like Glass Joe has headgear and um, King, King Hippo's Hippo got a yeah, chest, he's duct taped a, a garbage can lid. Yeah, he's duct taped a garbage can lid to his belly. Um, anyway, so that's an amusing thought. But let's get on to what I was actually going to talk about. Uh, a couple of things. Um, I mentioned last week that I was very hesitant for no reason to watch uh, the second season of The Owl House. Right. And then I did, and it was great. Uh, I just have to mention, I've, I'm i now going the opposite route with it, where this, I saw the newest episode pop up this week, and I just pounced on it immediately, and was rewarded, because it was a great episode. Hmm. It's called called Reaching Out, and it's like, 
Luz's phone keeps reminding her of an event with her mom, which she is clearly trying very hard not to think about. Um, but at the same time, Amity is it's it's a tr- coven tryout day where she can try out for the emperor's coven, which is mm. what her parents want for her. But she doesn't want to do that. She would rather compete in the Bonesboro Brawl, which is a one on one wizard battle tournament, hmm. which her father won in his younger days and she wants to win it, too. And, you know, Luz, being her love interest is and eager to be distracted, apparently, jumps on board. And Ada goes along because she wants to know what the Emperor is up to. He's planning something on the Day of Unity, and she wants to know what. Also, her former lover doesn't remember her anymore, and, you know, not that she cares because she's totally over them, but also it would be neat to find out why. Hmm. Great stuff. If I have a complaint, and I don't, about the second season, it's that loses other friends, uh, Willow and Augustus, right? Don't don't show up very much. Hmm. It's like it's all Amity all the time. I think Willow and Gus have maybe been in like four episodes combined. Hmm. They've really taken a back seat, but it's worth it. It's 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 a really great show. Anyway, I've I've already covered that. Um, <clears throat> second, what was the second thing I was going to talk about? Um. YouTube, you know, it's one of those things where I watch a clip and then YouTube's like, here, have more clips. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was Blackadder. Oh, yeah, you're talking. You mentioned Blackadder recently. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned it on Twitter. Blackadder is a British sitcom throughout the 80s starring Rowan Atkinson, who would later become Mr. Bean and Zazu in The Lion King. Mm. And... Uh, it's basically, there's four seasons, each one taking place in a different historical period where, uh, Rowan Atkinson is Edmund Blackadder and he has a couple of sidekicks, most notably Baldrick, who is his servant in some way and increasingly stupid and slovenly in each season. (laughs) It's also notable for having Hugh Laurie, who a lot of people would know best as House, the, uh, jerk doctor mm-hmm. in the in the drama but he was actually a comedian and he is a slapstick goofball in these shows yeah and they did a fifth blackadder called called blackadder back and forth it was just a special where a modern day blackadder invented a time machine and yeah, was going back through history yeah, it's, it's hg wells yeah 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 <clears throat> And they keep every once in a while, they'll bring up, you know, maybe we should make another Blackadder. But yeah, they're both like Rowan Atkinson and um, uh, Tony Robinson, who plays Baldrick, are both so old now that it would be yeah. noticeably different. But yeah. I was thinking about it and I got the idea. What if they did a Blackadder cartoon? Oh, where every episode was maybe like a different period of time with a different. Huh. Blackadder and Baldrick, and you could get Rowan Atkinson and Tony Robinson to do the voices. Maybe get Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry in there. Would it be as adult? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like it's kind of worthless if it's not. You know what? You're right. Yeah. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, maybe that won't work. When you said different eras, I thought they could also like incorporate history. But you know, adults like history too, so that could still work, I guess. You could do. Did you ever see that Mr. Bean cartoon? Uh, no. 
But speaking of YouTube algorithms, it always pushes it at me. <laughs> that that show is okay. My actual complaint with that is that Mr. Bean makes too much noise. Right. Because because it's a cartoon. He can't be totally mimed. They have to have him go like, <laughs> like he reacts to everything that happens. Right. And he's a little too vocal for me, but eh. Yeah. But yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, if you can't have all the weird innuendo and stuff, also, maybe what's the point? Would you just make six episodes? <laughs> and that's it. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's the way British stuff seems to go. You make six, ep- yeah. six episodes and see how it goes, and then maybe you make another one. So there's four seasons. There's Blackadder Back and Forth, I think, is the, the Time Machine one. Yes, it is. And uh, there's uh, Blackadder Christmas. Yes, Victorian one, right? And um, okay, so because you had tweeted about it, I was talking to somebody at work about it and we mentioned some of those other weird nuggets that I found. Like, uh-huh. I can't remember what the treaty is, but there's like a treaty where uh, powers in Europe just kind of delegated land to each other. Yeah. Um, and it's got Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry in it, very much being George oh, and Melchett. The Treaty of Westphalia. Yeah, okay. YouTube pushes that one on me all the time. It's from uh, a, a show that, a sketch comedy show that Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry did called A Bit of Fry and Laurie. Okay, yeah. It's, it, it, well, like I said, they're, they feel very blackaddery in it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, another thing, there was like a charity event where Rowan Atkinson plays uh, Doctor Who. Oh! Have you seen that? <laughs> I... I think I saw like the first half of that and then couldn't yeah. finish it for whatever reason. Hmm. But yeah. I think the end is not as good as the start. So you probably got all the best stuff. Okay. And, you know, just like we say those British series only last six episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a lot of things are better as short stories, you know, or parodies are probably best at just that, just that little taste, you know? So. Mm-hmm. But yeah. For, for at least that much, he's a good doctor. You know, um... Before they had made all the Harry Potter movies, mm-hmm. when, you know, they had just made the first few and the books were coming out and like my, my sister is way into Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember exactly how it came up, whether it was, you know, actor first, then character or character first, then actor or whatever. But somehow me and my sister came to the accord that... Rowan Atkinson should be the painting of the former Slytherin headmaster Phineas Nicholas. Heh. And we both just decided, oh, that's perfect. And I don't think I've seen the Harry Potter movie that that character is in, but I'm sure it was disappointing that it wasn't Rowan Atkinson. He could do his hilarious, dull, unaware expression. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Anyway, one last thing. Okay. Um, some years ago, a cartoon came out on Netflix that I was kind of lukewarm about, even though I watched the entire thing, uh, called Green Eggs and Ham. Oh, yeah. Second season. Believe it or not. Yeah. Based on a Dr. Seuss book. But yeah, there's a second season of it now, uh, or as they call it, uh, the second serving. Hey. Uh, I watched the first episode of it earlier today. Yeah. I actually quite like it. Which I was oh. not expecting. You might cause... find you like green eggs and ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, um, have you, you, you're aware of it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I watched all the first season. I liked it. Yeah, the first season kind of, it, it put me off a little bit because it just felt like, you know, cartoons were really trendy and it felt like a bunch of Hollywood people thinking, oh, if we throw enough money at a cartoon, it'll be really good. You know, it's got like Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton produced by Ellen DeGeneres. Weezer did the theme song. Okay. Like, it just feels like like no expense spared. It's fun, but I think I had a better time explaining the series to other people than I did mm. actually watching it. Which is not to say I didn't like it. Yeah. 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 So for the second season, my question was, how do you make a second season after Guy M.I. has already eaten the green eggs and ham? Hmm. And apparently the answer is that you loosely base it on another Dr. Seuss book. Hmm. Because it sets up. So a, a very minor spoiler for Green Eggs and Ham is that the reason that the reason they've cooked up that Sam I am is always eating Green Eggs and Ham mm. is because he's trying to find the specific recipe that his long lost mother made for him. And then at the very end, he has some Green Eggs and Ham and it's the one. Mm. So it kind of sets up that there will be a second season about Sam trying to find his mom. So this season sets up, th there's a lot of moving parts, but basically the, the crux of it is I've only watched the first episode, but Sam wants to go to the place where the specific eggs that triggered him are. But okay. also there's in, in the, in the first season, like he was an animal poacher of some kind, or he was like a warden that was trying to stop an animal from being poached by a, a trophy hunter played by Eddie Izzard. Um, well, in this, there's some kind of a spy thing going on. It's got a real James Bond feel to it. Right. And this has something to do with two warring nations who are at a complete stalemate over which side of the bread butter should be put on. Hmm. This this is the Dr. Seuss book, the butter battle book. Okay. So it seems like it's going in this weird direction where it's there's going to be spy intrigue. The title sequence is not by Weezer. It's a James Bond style uh, song. Hmm. And so this seems like it's going to be a spy adventure. Um, based around some kind of secret weapon that could turn the tide of the butter battle. Huh. Okay. And you know what? I'm kind of here for it. I was like, I actually really got into it. There was like, he's, Sam is like going to knock on the door of the house that he thinks his mom is in. And I actually felt my heart kind of beating. Like, like I was excited. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're running kind of long here, so I'll, I won't say too much. And I've only watched one episode, so maybe it goes all the way downhill from here. But, hey, I actually quite enjoyed the first episode of the second season more than I thought I would. So I think I'll probably watch the rest of it. Hmm. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah. the, uh, the description I'm so proud of myself for for the first season and describing it to other people is... Uh, that it was like if the Cohen brothers adapted Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> it is, right? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I can yeah. see that. 
this this weird like the I thought, you know, if you have the idea of green eggs and ham is just this one past constantly um, hypothesizing situations in which this other guy might finally try green eggs and ham and they animate that by having them on a road trip and having him yeah. eat green eggs and ham everywhere. And it's like, well, there's a fox in a box. How about you eat the green eggs and ham now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I guess the other thing, I, I like Guy Am I. I like his face. Yeah. He's pretty good. There's a there's a good gag with him. He's, it, he's an inventor, but the problem is that his inventions always explode. Hmm. And I had forgotten about that, actually, but there's a good gag with that in the first episode, so... Yeah, I won't I won't spoil anything, but I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed the first episode of the second season of Green Eggs and Ham. So I will continue to watch it. But in the meantime, right. let's continue to watch Batman. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh, Batman, the animated series, BTAS. Hmm. So it came about. <laughs> To capitalize on the Tim Burton Batman movies, a new dark Batman animated series called Batman the Animated Series. So far from being part of the movie universe, it opted to tell its own version based on Batman's comic book history, especially more grounded street crime and film noir stylings. Warner Brothers animation stalwart Bruce Tim developed character designs with some inspiration from the old Fleischer Superman cartoons and co-creator Eric Radomski especially brought the style and mood to the show by making the backgrounds on black paper so it enhanced the mood with literal darkness. Other important figures Andrea Romano coached voice direction that made the show feel like it was a drama for adults. In fact my my uh, brother and his wife would come over and watch it because they didn't have TV at the time. Hmm. And the cast included Kevin Conroy, for whom many is the voice of Batman. Hmm. And also Paul Dini. Paul Dini was the writer who uh, revamped depth into Batman lore and even created some new characters that have bled into the comics back the other direction, you know? Yes. So Batman the Animated Series spun off Superman, Justice League, and more, creating a fan-loved DC animated universe. But this is where it starts, with Batman, a stylish action-crime drama set in a uh, scuzzy city where the suits, cars, and architecture are like the Art Deco era never went out of style. Yeah, it looks really old, like... I remember there's the, the an episode with the Riddler, um, yeah. Edward Nigma, where he created a video game. Mm. And I remember looking at this video game like this is like Atari level graphics. And this is like 1992, right? We're playing Super NES and like, oh, this oh. is the biggest video game in the world. But like thinking of it like this is a real retro world. Like, I don't even know if there's color TV in this world. Well, most of the TVs are black and white. Although yeah. this episode has a video cassette in it, so... Yeah, that threw me off a bit. It's just... Uh, I, yeah, who knows? It's... I'd like to think that the rest of the world, you know, if they can overlook the crime in Gotham, that they go there for the novelty of being transported to 1930. <laughs> All right, so uh, this particular episode we're looking at is Read My Lips, directed by 
by Boyd Kirkland in 1993. So it starts, there's a heated boxing match in Gotham that night, but the real action is behind the scenes. The guards, with the night's earnings, are ambushed by a gang of three. That gang scales the ventilation shaft to the roof, and then they wait for a truck full of mattresses to stop on the street below, so lastly they can take an incredibly bold jump off the building onto the mattresses. There's no way I would do that if I was a crook. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I would say don't put on black masks, but rather put on, like, a guard's hat and walk out the front door. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the truck takes them to their hideout, where they report to their boss, Scarface, a tiny mobster on the knee of a meek-looking man. There's another funny thing about this. Who drove the car? Anyway. Yeah, I assume it was the guy. Oh, you mean he got out and met... Okay. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe it was Scarface, which I think will be funny and you'll, you'll find out why in a second. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, there's a sequence of spinning newspapers, you know that cliche, flying toward the screen so you can see their headlines. And they detail various crimes by a mysterious, clever new gang. Police Commissioner Gordon worries about this crime spree in his office, and then quietly Batman enters through the window because he likes to start conversations by startling the other person. <laughs> and it's really neat, the shot where the blinds sway with the breeze, and we get to see the silhouette of Batman just step in with them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Um, so all Gordon has for Batman is a videotape, like we mentioned, of the gang leaving the scene of a crime. Later at the Batcave, he reviews the tape of a masked trio bypassing a fence. And really cleverly, the difference in the gang members ex is expressed this way. The little guy slips through the gap, the lanky guy climbs over, and the immense guy just breaks through the fence. Hmm. But that last method tears his sleeve and reveals the tattoo of a rhino. It's the hoodlum rhino, not the Spider-Man one, though. Some other guy named Rhino. So Batman confronts him in an alleyway to question him and get the better of him in a scuffle as well. The police break it up, and Batman follows Rhino back to his hideout. Wesker, the meek little guy in the glasses, goes to wake up Scarface, the boss. Batman, from his vantage at the skylight, is astonished to see that Scarface is a ventriloquist dummy operated by Wesker. Scarface, the dummy, suspects that one of his gang has ratted them out. Later, Batman sneaks into Scarface's bedroom, and he confirms that the dummy in the bed is an actual inanimate doll. As he snoops to the moodiness of a bass, bass of a bass fiddle and drum <laughs> cymbals, you know, doom, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, Wesker comes in to check on his boss. But Batman drags him to another room to interrogate him. The interaction confirms that Wesker and Scarface are two distinct personalities. Batman puts a listening device on Wesker's bow tie and he leaves. I'm going to ask you, Batman could have just beaten him up and taken him away right then. Do you think he leaves because he doesn't yet fully understand the situation? Or is it to get evidence to use against them? Um, hmm. Probably the... It might be a mix of the two, actually, but mm. probably more the latter. I would think 
that a guy who is was previously very good friends with Harvey Dent would know about multiple personality disorder pretty quickly. Very similar character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The uh, listening device pays off because Scarface outlines a plan to his gang to steal a shipment of platinum bars. In the night, the gang takes a speedboat out to the ship and uses some very cartoony acid to eat through the side of it. Yeah, um, flub here. The little boat's already full of platinum bars. All right, yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, it's a ruse anyway, so... But yeah, it's just animation flub. So, and speaking of those platinum bars... We recently discussed how heavy gold was in the yeah. episode and Pinky <laughs> in the Brain. Yeah. And these platinum bars are real heavy. I don't know if they're real platinum bars, but they're at least heavy or they're acting like they are. Mm. Um, so Batman ambushes the gang, but Rhino topples a pile of those bars onto Batman. That would kill him. Oh, well, you know, the beauty of Batman is that he's just a regular guy like you or me, right? Yeah. Like, uh, earlier I was looking at a clip from, uh, which one is it? Um, Crisis of Two Earths, I think, is the movie. Hmm. And he gets crushed by a marble column, but still is alive. So, <laughs> you know, he's a, I, I guess he's got a lot of hit points or something. He, he <laughs> negotiates all of the organs out of the way. Um, <laughs> As a bat does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, I have this theory. I have this theory that, like, it's not just because comic writers weren't held to a high standard, that superpowers have their own sort of intelligence to them that try their best. So, like, uh, um, it's probably not anymore, but there was a, a comic where Spider-Man's ability to cling to things was canonically static electricity. <laughs> It makes way more sense in the Raimi movies that he's got little spider-like hairs, right? Yes. But with the static electricity, I think it's just like stuff that his mutation could do. And it was just like, oh, this is kind of like a spider, I guess, you know, or like <laughs> that Wolverine, his power is to be like an animal, right? So he can, he's got uh, heightened senses, for example, <laughs> right? Yeah. But his claws... His claws, he actually has bone claws when he doesn't have adamantium. And they come out the same way. Not out of his fingernails, though, right? Mm. They come out behind his knuckles. Yeah. And again, I, I think it's just the power doing like, you know, all right. I, this is kind of like a Wolverine. I mean, give me well, a break. That, I can, <laughs> that, that would be a physical mutation if you had like bone spikes coming out of the back of your hand. Like, yeah, that's a that's a birth defect. That's a deformity. Yeah, I guess so. Um, anyway, what the hell was I talking about? Um, Batman, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Batman, uh, with some getting knocked out by platinum bars. Boy, yeah, I yeah. forget. Oh, we'll review the tape after. So, uh, yeah, back at the hideout, Batman is tied and suspended above a vat of deadly sharpened mannequins. Really? <laughs> with that threat, Scarface interrogates Batman to know which of his gang is a traitor? He's fixated on that. And Batman fingers the ventriloquist himself, Wesker. The world's greatest detective backs up the ploy by using his own ability to throw his voice to put words in Wesker's mouth. During the disunity 
of the man, uh, the one man's two personalities, Batman escapes from his rope and swings down to disarm the crooks of their drum magazine Tommy guns. Speaking of old timey things. Yeah. Um, then whoop them hand to hand. But Rhino's brute force is tricky. Batman overcomes him, though, by toppling a shelf onto him because turnabout is fair play. <laughs> when another of the gang regains his gun, he misfires on Batman and ventilates the Scarface dummy, and that fractures Wesker's psyche. The broken man, his ultimate fate, is a stay at Arkham, and though he seems to be recovering, the end shows him remaking his dummy, complete with a jagged tear down the cheek to truly make it Scarface. <laughs> yeah. Interesting that they have shop tools and sharp instruments like that in Arkham Asylum. Right. <laughs> Once again, I'm going to talk about Marvel. So, yeah, I know we're talking DC, but I have a theory born of Marvel movies. Uh -huh. um, so, in a lot of these Marvel movies, there's things that bug me that are just like, uh, these like insta kill kind of things that beat our heroes. Mm. So, um, like Thor, the god of thunder, gets in a big punch out with the Hulk, but there's like a little disc that slaps onto him and elect of all things electrocutes him, <laughs> and he falls unconscious. Right? It's well, like thunder and lightning are two different things. I guess. Um, but still, it's not like an artifact or anything. It's just this like device, and um, there's like in the various series there's wands or sticks that that will uh either fully disintegrate something or transport it to another dimension or like captain america gets in a big long fight that he ultimately uh just plays a trump to uh, beat it by uh using a magic wand on them or magic stick right hmm. and it's maybe craft this idea that fighting hand to hand is just their hobby it's just <laughs> like a gentleman's agreement you know like yeah this is cool I worked on a spinning kick, so let's do this for a while. You know? <laughs> I kind of feel like that here. Like, yeah, Rhino is strong. But, I mean, I guess it has its place. But as, like, the escalation from guys with machine guns <laughs> seems a little <laughs> weird, right? Again, it's just kind of like, I'm Batman. I like to throw punches. Okay, let's go, you know? When I first saw um, Rhino in Silhouette... Yeah. It looked like he was a shirtless guy with a black mask, and I thought it was Bane. But yeah, I guess thinking on it now, I don't know that Bane was actually introduced in the comics at, in 1993. Hmm. I have a feeling he came. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. He came a little later. Yeah, and he definitely comes later in the series. So I knew it wasn't him, but I got that impression too when I was watching. Mm. Um. So this is our first Batman, the animated series episode. Yeah. And at first you, you tease me, you know, I would know what it was by the title and I did. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering like, why a Scarface episode, you know, of, of Batman's villains? Why that? And then watching, it, I think, oh, well, it's stylish for one. Mm -hmm. And Batman wins in a clever way, you know, through, through using his own ability to throw his voice to pit the man against himself yeah oh speaking of the style things in there so like when the blinds blow and you see a silhouette move in there's like stuff later on too like again the the wind blowing the curtains and then the next time they come into frame it's his cape instead yeah yeah you know 
or like when he's snooping and Wesker comes into the bedroom, he just kind of like seamlessly goes out a door as he comes in. Just yeah. Little cool details like that in this episode. This is Batman being a detective. He doesn't do that in a lot of Batman media. Like they call him the no. world's greatest detective and DC Comics is detective comics. Right. But this is him actually like he doesn't fight that much. It's not like he just, you know, uses his cool machines to just go in and beat people up. This is him like figuring things out. Yeah. Yeah. But the fighting is good, too. I like the fighting in these Batman cartoons. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like in it is uh, that henchmen, in this case, they name the guy. But in a lot of these Batman episodes, henchmen are not fodder for him to just whoop, you know? Yeah. That some of them are credible fighters. And I wonder if that's an influence from the Burton movie where some of Joker's goons could really fight. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. I, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just really well thought out. Well, as you're saying, this is like grounded Batman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where it's him taking on punks and, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, a good introduction introduction for this character. You know, so Scarface, um, did you looked up in his lore? I did once a long time ago. Like, I know... I, I don't remember specifics. I know that I once went into a Wikipedia hole of like, let me learn everything that's happened with Scarface. Because a lot of these times, like, I'll see these villains in the animated series that I didn't know from previous, because I didn't really read Batman comics. So it's yeah. like, Two-Face, what? And so, like, I, I'll go and I'll see, like, how many of these characters are, like, actual real Batman villains? And then I find out that it's pretty much all of them except Harley Quinn. Oh, but most of them are no good. <laughs> like Paul Dini or the writer of the day did a good job making them better than those 60s Batman comics. Right. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So one of the things is this uh, Scarface. It's unconfirmed in the story itself, but that he was carved from the last gallows at Blackgate Penitentiary. Huh. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things, actually, th there have been more than one ventriloquist over time. Yes. There's been three, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But as my common complaint with Detective Comics is that they reboot constantly. <laughs> it's an addiction. Like, not even 10 years goes by before they reboot everything again. So as a consequence, they have to yada yada things, right? They, they I imagine if you're a writer, you really feel the pressure like, oh, they're going to reboot this any day now. I got to get myself. So there's no time to write a story about the ventriloquist, right? Yeah. So he just gets worked into stories on these reboots. And usually what it is, is someone else has killed him. Like <laughs> a, a flashier villain has killed ventriloquist and Scarface. Um, mm, mm. It, e it even happens in the cartoon. Um Speaking of, you know, alternate dimensions, reboots and whatever, in Justice League, there's an alternate dimension where the Justice League becomes an authoritarian power. Uh-huh. And they find uh, Wesker lobotomized. Oh, dear. So, yeah, so they even did it there. Wow. J <clears throat> Just speaking broadly, mm -hmm. I, I, I've said, you know, Batman the Animated Series is one of the best animated series ever made. But I haven't actually watched it in a long time. 
And just going back and watching this episode, I was like, man, not only is this a great cartoon, I think this might be my favorite representation of Batman. And I know everybody loves the Dark Knight. Yeah. But there's something about this cartoon. Like, maybe it's how grounded it is. Maybe it's the fact that it has more than two hours to flesh out its character and its worlds. And maybe it's just, you know, it's not about... It's not as much about the technology and stuff. It's about, like, its psychology. I I love this version of the Batman world. I like this version of the Batman character. Yeah. Yes. Like, absolutely. That's part of it. You know, one of the things that... Even even him in Justice League falls into this a little bit. I mean, in the, the same universe uh, series, uh, Justice League, that he becomes kind of too stoic. Mm-hmm. So... The Warner Brothers DC movies have their various little canons, right? So they did a little reboot that I am not overly fond of uh, when they did Flashpoint Paradox. And um, I think it was Justice League Doomsday. No. Apocalypse? Anyway. um, They rebooted it. And whenever they make a Batman movie in that universe, they have to have a lot of Nightwing and Damian Wayne in there. Mm -hmm. Because Batman himself is such a stiff, you know? This one in the the animated series, he's got humor. Um, he's got uh, expression, you know? Yeah. Maybe, like when he, maybe sees, when he sees Scarface for the first time and he yeah. like, he draws back and his head goes up and his jaw drops like, <gasps> like <laughs> you can't imagine yeah. Christian Bale doing that. He would just go like, hmm, how am I going to beat this guy up? You ever you ever watch a YouTuber uh, casually comics? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, I like her quite a bit. Uh, so she she talks about modern comics and old comics, whatever. And um, often we'll do the thing where they'll show panels and she will do the voices of the characters. Right. <laughs> I love her Batman. Her Batman is just like a. Um, of course I do, is the Joker, but there's some things you can't say to a people you love. Like, she doesn't like the Christian, the Christian Bale <laughs> character, <laughs> no matter what the content of the, the line is, right? Right. Um, yeah, but this is like a Batman with dimensions. So Yes, yeah. yeah. I like it. Doing detective stuff in a cool setting. Um, yeah, it's noir. I'm into it. Yeah. Did you notice the special guest star who had one line in this mo- in this episode? Maybe I forgot. Who is it? Joe Piscopo. Oh, yeah, yeah. As one of the thugs. Yeah. Uh, well, he's listed as the manager. Uh, is he? Which, which tells me, of, I mean. Of, of the boxing ring? Well, the boxing ring? He's listed as the manager. Yeah. And his, like, one line is, good take tonight, or something like that. But also I oh, noticed, okay. I, I also noticed that only two of the thugs had credited voices. So maybe oh. he's the third thug as well. I'm not sure. I read that he didn't reprise a role. So I, th- I think he is one of uh, hmm. one of the gang as well. I think. Seems like well, every seems like every time this cartoon comes into my periphery, I learn about a new voice actor that I didn't know was in it. Like, hmm. like last time I was looking it up, I was like, wow, Richard Maul was Two-Face? Oh, yeah. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, wrap it up. <laughs> um, uh, oh, my God, a segue here? 
well, um, we got a story of crime and thugs. How about we go with the OG gangster Dorothy Gale? Was that good? Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I will, as I get into this, I will feed you a segue. Okay, all right. Yeah, all right. So, uh, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. This is an anime series from 1986 through 87, which was uh, ported into English by Montreal studio Sinar in 1987. Narrated by Margot Kidder, Lois oh, Lane yeah. in the Superman yeah. movies. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not sure I believe her. Fun fact about her. She was born in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. Hmm. Neat. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is more Wizard of Oz. We talked about it last week. And let's just continue. Okay, so this is the uh, wonderful world of Oz. Um, I, I don't mean that as like the title, but I mean like we're, that's where we are. We're in Oz. Mm. This is this series had four parts based on the four, first four books of the Oz series, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, as I understand it, actually, this was also the last Wizard of Oz thing that was made before the books went into the public domain. Huh. So, yeah, um, let's go. It's called Miss Cuttenclip and Mr. Fuddle. And it's, uh, this is kind of late. This is like in the fourth part of the four parts. So a lot has already happened. Yeah, I tried to give you an episode that was the most standalone-ish of the okay. episodes. No, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. So the, the narrator, Lois Lane, recaps that Dorothy... The intelligent scarecrow and Ozma, who you remember is the <laughs> queen of Oz, I guess, although not mm. yet, because now they've just found a wall in the Emerald City uh, inscribed with the truth that Ozma is indeed destined to be the queen of Oz. I guess now she's the princess. Also, she has magic powers, and all of this is stuff that we saw last week in Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. So that's where we start with this uh, revelation. Now, the two girls, Dorothy and Ozma, are looking out the castle window, kind of worrying about people wanting to conquer Oz. And coincidentally, at that moment, the villainous Gnome King and his army are burrowing under the castle with uh, some kind of big worm thing. Meanwhile, the Scarecrow is looking through the departed wizard's old things and among them is a face that looks exactly like Andros at the end of Star Fox. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be where that was inspired from. Hmm. Um, while he's looking through this, he hears a sound coming from a weird box. He, he looks through the keyhole and he's looking so intently that he doesn't hear Dorothy and Ozma arrive. They all peek inside because what's inside is wondrous. A tiny paper soldier. And Ozma comments that what Oz kind of needs right now is an army, though the Scarecrow dismisses the idea because both Wicked Witches are dead. You know, the hmm. the East one got crushed by Dorothy's house and the West one got doused with water and may or may not be inside a crystal ball. Yeah. By the way, I uh, saw a clip on YouTube of an episode of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz where the witch, the Wicked Witch of the West, is explaining how she's still alive. And yeah. It turns out that her ghost, like, possessed the cat 
in the Munchkin's arms that jumped out and distracted Dorothy so that she jumped out of the balloon. Oh my god. <laughs> Was this written by DC Comics? <laughs> anyway. Woo. Anyway. Uh, both Wicked Witches are dead, but Dorothy and Ozma know that there are other threats, like the Gnome King. Dorothy convinces Ozma to try using her magic powers to do something with the Paper Soldier. So Ozma makes up a spell off the top of her head, basically asking to be taken to the land of the Paper People. And they are teleported away, which leaves the Scarecrow to just find the box on the floor and wonder where the girls went. Well, sure enough, the girls are in Paperland, But the door they went through to get there disappears, leaving them trapped. Paper scenery rises around them, and they are greeted suspiciously by Sergeant Bristol, the paper soldier. With his other soldiers, they grill the girls on who they are and why they've come. And the ladies extend their invitation to the little paper men to be Oz's army. But the army declines because they have to defend this land. Which makes the girls laugh, but it turns out that laughing creates wind and wind wrinkles, wrinkles paper people, so they wouldn't do well in the merry old land of Oz. Because hmm. there's laughter, you see. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the girls are allowed to stay, because they mean no harm, just don't laugh or sneeze. And uh, they want directions on how to get home, and are pointed toward the paper people's creator, Miss Cuttenclip. The directions suck, though, so the girls just start walking. But it turns out they find the cottage anyway, without much trouble. It turns out Miss Cuttenclip is a little paper woman and is a friend of Glinda the Good Witch. She explains that she makes things out of Glinda's magic paper, which gives them life. I actually really like Miss Cuttenclip. I, I like yeah. her voice. I like the way she looks. I'll, I'll get more into what I like later, but yeah. I was, just, I was just thinking as the possessor of Shears, she really is the ultimate power in that world. Yeah, really, yeah. Uh, they have a very friendly chat, but basically, Miss Cuttenclip doesn't have any door paper to make a door back to Oz okay. with, which is cool. Yeah. She directs them instead to Mr. Fuddle, claiming that he can certainly help them if he's assembled. A wink? Yeah. So the girls walk on, and after a while, Dorothy trips over one of many puzzle pieces on the ground. An eye on one of the pieces winks and leads Dorothy to believe that these pieces are Mr. Fuddle and he needs to be literally assembled. They put together his mouth first so that he can talk, but he can't hear them, so they have to put his ears on, too. It turns out that Mr. Fuddle is good at figuring things out. He's good at puzzles, and he quickly surmises that the ladies must be Dorothy and Ozma. And he has the door to Oz, and he can put it back together for them if he is put together first. So the girls put together this puzzle man, and true to his word, he pulls out some puzzle pieces and builds the door back to Oz. And then he falls apart again, which he quite enjoys being a puzzle man. It's half the fun is taking the puzzle apart, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, the girls go through the door and end up back in Oz. There, the Scarecrow is happy to see them again. He was worried... But Dorothy and Ozma were delighted by their adventure, which they decide to keep as their little secret. And that's the end. The Gnome King threat apparently will wait for another episode. Yeah. So this is what I'm talking about. Oh. Weird fairy tale stuff that can happen in Oz. Yeah. Like 
this is the business. This is why Oz is cool because of stuff like this. Right. Hmm. I wasn't sure how you feel about it, but yeah, it is. It is I that mean, way. not much happened. Like there's no real conflict in this episode. It's just kind of a no. thing that happens. But at the same yeah. time, like with me last week, m- lamenting that nobody does Oz stuff anymore. And this mm. episode is all Oz stuff and not just yeah. Oz stuff from the movie. It's Oz stuff like anything you could like I could make up like you said last week I could write an Oz book now anything I could make up mm-hmm. you could say oh yeah that that would totally happen in Oz oh gosh right. I just I just had this weird premonition that somewhere out there is like a a self-published ebook on Amazon where Dorothy finds like a field of weed and it's like the real emerald city and they <laughs> all get high that breaks I was, my heart. I was thinking instead a bunch of sexy dinosaurs. That's what's <laughs> on the... <laughs> those are the kinds of books that are there, right? Well, probably. Anyway... Freaking furries. Yeah. Anyway, this is... um, It's it's a cute little anime thing. It's, it's the sort of anime that isn't like... It's the cutesy style of anime. The ranking of kings mm. style of anime. Where oh, yeah. like... The characters are like soft and squishy with like little bead eyes. Dorothy, I kept thinking about um uh Lucy from Peanuts when I looked at her and I'm not really sure if that's a great example, but maybe it's just the beady little eyes and the the Maybe it's the puff sleeves. Fluffy hairstyle. Maybe it's the sleeves, yeah, that could be it too. Yeah. Think I love this character designer and he's not got like his his credits are kind of ranging over western stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Western stuff produced by Japan and so on. But there's not a lot to point to. It's Junichi Seki, but his, his take on the Wizard of Oz characters, I really like. They're very memorable. Um, yeah, this is a cool scarecrow. Like where he doesn't really yeah. have a mouth. He just has an indent. Right, right. Um, I, and like I said, I like Miss Cuttenclip. Like I like she she looks cool, like like this little witch made of paper. And she's got a cool voice. Um mm. Mr. Fuddle is all right, even though he has a bit of that speech impediment that I don't like much. It's understated yeah. enough that I kind of went with it. Was okay. Mr. Fuddle the same puzzle man from last week? I think they're like a race of puzzle men. Hmm. So uh, this series, this wonderful Wizard of Oz series is more book accurate than the MGM one, but mm-hmm. it still departs quite a lot. Right. So this being the end, I guess they wanted to work in a fuddle somehow. Ah. And it seemed right to put it with this stuff with the, I don't, I, I'm not sure if this paper stuff happens at this point in the storyline either. Mm. Um, you actually, you mentioned kind of the ponderous nature of this show. Yeah. Man, that is this show. <laughs> Holy cow. It's not for everybody, I think. But if you like this show, then it, uh, it, warm like it 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 hits right so when they like when dorothy and her traveling companions come across like a river and need to figure out across it they're like a not just a dungeons dragons party but a group of players at a table they discuss their many ways of trying to get across this river for like a minute (laughs) that's the way the show goes like this episode is kind of standalone-ish but later on in this series in this arc um, they decide to use what they learned in the paper land with Ozma's magic and they want to make a flying crane. 
So Dorothy and Ozma get out a giant sheet of paper <laughs> and they build this crane like in real time, you know, <laughs> where they're grabbing the corners and running them over to the other side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just got to fill 30 minutes somehow. Oh, but it's yeah, it's the style of the show. I love it. This this one. As an adult, I came to love this show. This this, like you said, is uh, has really marginal Canadian content in it. Mm -hmm. So just like we've expressed on the show before on TV all the time, because it was cheap or subsidized. Right. Yeah. Um, so this show has got tons of continuity in it. Right. Uh, most episodes flow from one to the other. Yeah. And uh, it was not until I was a neat, that is to say, not in education, employment or training um, as, as an adult. And I would like shamefully stay up late at night mm -hmm. past the, past the station identification when like one of the first things that came on in the morning was this show <laughs> five o'clock on Sunday morning. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I was able to watch them in sequence and really just fall in love with this thing. Hmm. It's, I don't know that it's the kind of show that I would fall in love with. Um, mm. but it is a show that like seeing this one episode, I can appreciate, okay, these are some all right character designs. And yeah. like I said, like, I, it's just the past couple of weeks, just Oz, you know, like just hammering yeah. home, like in the same way, like the the animated series is like a version of Batman that you don't get very much. One where it's right. grounded and he's doing detective stuff and it's not all about his gadgets. And in the same mm. way, like that's that's what I want from Batman. And this is what I want in general from fantasy, like more, you know, like I said last week, not all the Lord of the Rings don't immediately oh, right. go to medieval Europe. There's other like weird fairy tale stuff that you can do. You know, there's combat in Oz books, but usually it's like a pass fail kind of thing, like, you know. Well, this is something that I could just cut up with my axe. So I'll threaten him, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, most most of these fantasy situations are about talking or sneaking or overcoming riddles. I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I I appreciate the theme of what this is. And I I like, you know, I watched it's dubbed into English. I usually prefer my anime subtitle, but I watched the English version and it was all right. Um, yep. And like I said, I cut and clip really appealed to me. Oh, if, if you want to, if you want to find this in its original Japanese, it's not preserved. I found the first episode and that's about it. Mm, okay. Well, I, I kind of figured it wasn't even worth looking. Mm. Um, also in the English version, we get the cool, cool intro sequence with the oh, um, yes. uh, band. What's the band called? The Parachutes? Parachute Club. I think. Parachute Club. Yes. And some awesome 1986 computer graphics of like. Oh, just yeah. The, the bare minimum, like pre Star Fox level, like boxes that kind of represent a farm going into an anime tornado. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that was really that really amused Maybe. me to see. And yet they didn't put Andros face in there. <laughs> they yeah. probably couldn't. It was too complicated. Um, From what I read, apparently, like they wanted to kind of scrub as much of the Japanese credits as they could from this show. And so, well, 
they did this CG opening so that they could credit the Canadian computer animators. There's that. And I think, I think sadly they're right. That I'll share the opening of Oz no Um It's good, but it would turn off boys. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's not like it's weird content or anything. It's like them marching down the yellow brick road mostly. Yeah, just like innocuous, you know. This is not going to be a thrilling adventure. Yeah, pretty this much. This is going to be a whimsical adventure. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, hopefully this podcast was a whimsical adventure for everybody. Yes. Uh, we're going to go hard next week, though. Mm. We're going to go back. Okay, we're going to look uh, at Botsmaster, an action cartoon that is so 90s. <laughs> and it's also kind of in 3D. I think I never tried it, but we're going to try it out. And we're going to look at the first four episodes of Botsmaster. Yeah, you presented me with this idea and I was like, what? Because yeah. I have no memory of this cartoon at all. So I'll be going into this. I was about to say blind, but it's actually, well, who knows? It depends on how the 3D works, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, you and I, by which and by you, I mean the listeners, the celery stalkers mm. can check it out for the first time. Or maybe you're the guy who runs the bots master net ring or web ring or whatever they called them. Um, oh, you know, you know how I know you've not seen this? Wow. The theme is so catchy. It would uh, have burrowed into your brain already at this mention. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> like when I said Bionic 6 and you broke into song. Yeah. You know, you know I did that with our master. friend. I did that with our friend Glenn and he did the same thing. With Bionic 6? Yeah. When wow. I told him when I told him that's the episode we were going to do, it was like. He, he's he goes like, oh, yes, we're so very proud to be. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this show that was on a week. I guess he saw it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, okay, so in the meanwhile, well, before we get to Bossmaster, throw us questions about, uh, well, suggestions about what to watch, uh, things to talk about. I am at DrabSwatch on Twitter. I'm at AC Matsy on Twitter, and I would love to hear anything you have to say about the show. I would love to hear about any cartoons you want us to watch. I would love to hear you tell me how much you love the Owl House, and if you've seen the full second season of Green Eggs and Ham, don't tell me if it gets worse, because I'm... I'm on a high here. I'm at AC Matsy. And now, perhaps you will try a Celery Stalker slogan in a podcast. Perhaps you would try a Celery Stalker slogan tied to a ship's mast. Nice. You can think I'm dumb. Just don't talk to me like I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs>